and pray with me. Uh, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Listen to these words of the widow. As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Those have to be some of the most pathetic words in all of Scripture. One last meal, and then we die. This is a woman who has no hope. She's empty. She's desperate. Nothing left to live for. The widow of Zarephath. The widow with no name. Just a place. She's got nothing. No husband, no food, no money. One son that she can't even provide for. Not a situation you want to be in, especially in the middle of a famine. The best she can do is gather a couple of sticks prepare the last meal, eat it, and die. I mean, I don't know how much more desperate you can get than this. And then again, this is the situation uh, for many in our world today. And I'm not just thinking about those places where there's famine and poverty around the world, although we should remember those as well. And I've seen any number of those situations driving through some of these countries, and they hold up the babies to the window, and you just won't want to do something, and you can't. But I've also seen desperate people here too. I remember getting a call from a man around Christmas time, and sometime in the early 90s when I was starting my mission church in South Jersey, outside of Atlantic City that I've told some of you about. And Atlantic City attracted an interesting clientele. People thought they could come in there, solve their money problems by winning at the casinos, and then get on with life problem, as you no doubt can guess, is that the casino investment plan never came through, never materialized, and what little money they had left was gone. They gambled it away on a dream, and the money was gone. They had no place to go, and there's a rescue mission in town, but it was a tough place for a family with young kids to be. So I get this call from someone I never met. We always had our ad in the yellow pages at the time, uh, back in the day. Uh, he needed a place to stay for himself, his wife, and their two little children. He'd had a job in Chicago, but he got shot. Uh, Drive-by shooting, I think it was. And he wasn't able to work, but he thought Atlantic City, you see, would solve his problems. So he called me, as he found my number in the yellow pages, and so I called up a friend of mine, got him a hotel, uh, and got a room for his family for Christmas. I went out bought a little Christmas tree even, some presents for the kids, and showed up at the hotel. And they invited me into their room. Everything they had was crammed into that little room. We talked a bit, and then for some inexplicable reason, he felt like he needed to prove to me that he wasn't lying about being shot in Chicago, and he lifts up his shirt, and there's the bullet wound right there. Oh, it was now healing, though, he said. You know, I mean, it was just a bizarre situation. I don't remember a lot of our conversation. I do remember I gave him the presents and the tree and some money, and I think we sang a Christmas carol or told the Christmas story. I prayed with them. I let them know how much God loved them. 
And then I left, never to see them again, except for the picture he gave me of him and his family, which I still have to this day. But no miraculous provision like what Elijah provided in our text for today. I, I couldn't make a promise to him and his family that they would never run out of food or water, that there would never be a time when they would not have a roof over their heads. I did what I could, but I'm sure it wasn't enough. It was never enough. There were always people needing help, getting taken advantage of, especially in the area where I was. And that was my first call out of seminary, trying to figure things out. There was hardly an, ever enough help to go around. Jesus said, the poor you'll always have with you. And he was right. It's, it's one of the reasons our church ended up starting a food pantry, frankly, that ended up uh, teaming up with other churches and groups and becoming a food bank, frankly, for the whole region of southern New Jersey. And we ended up supplying food for hundreds of families every month. We did what we could. But I always felt like it was never enough. There are so many people out there who are down to their last handful of flowers, so to speak, their last drop of oil, one paycheck away from homelessness, barely enough to feed their families. And they become nameless faces on our streets and in our cities and neighborhoods, just like this nameless widow. Hopefully we do what we can. But so often we feel like it's never enough. The poor you'll always have with you. And Jesus even calls the poor blessed. God does hear the cry of the afflicted. He hears the cry of the poor, the needy. And he knew what was going on in the life of this widow. He knew she had nothing, and he still sent Elijah to her, this, this woman who had nothing. She would be the one to provide him food, water, shelter. And notice Elijah did ask for help even after he saw her situation. It's kind of the height of chutzpah, if you will, on her, his part, asking a desperate widow for help. But then look at her response. She didn't keep the little she has for herself. She's willing to share what little she has. It's her last meal for herself, her young son, and she's going to share it with this prophet. And Elijah is even bold enough to ask her to be served first. <laughs> and after he's had his cake and eaten it too, so to speak, then she can go ahead and make something for herself and her son. And she did it. This nameless widow who had nothing shares her nothing with someone. She gives the, the first fruits of the nothing, frankly, uh, that she has, and she gives it to this prophet who was sent to her by God. And you know the rest of the story, right? The jar of flour doesn't run out, and there's oil to make the bread. And if you know the rest of the rest of the story, then you also know that this isn't the end of her troubles. Her son gets sick, right? And he, and he dies. I mean, how much worse can it get? This woman was pushed to the brink and then pushed even a bit further to where it was pretty much unbearable. Do you know how that feels? I mean, has it ever happened to you? Where you, you get pushed pushed to the brink, and then pushed even a bit further to the point where you got nothing left. So you got nothing left to lose. And you wonder, does, does God know? Does he even care? Does God know what it's like to have nothing left so there's nothing left to lose? Well, he does. I mean, you know that he does. 
He put himself in a situation where he lost everything. He, he lived a life just like you and me where more and more things got taken away from him the longer he lived in this life until it got to the point where everything, everything was taken away. He had nothing left, no friends, no money, nothing left to lose but his life. And he lost that too. He emptied himself, empty, desperate, nothing left to live for, everything to die for. There was nothing left in the jar. The oil of the anointed had been poured out and there was nothing left to give but his life. So he gave that too. He poured it out like a, like a drink offering onto our dry, life-sucking, spiritually parched world. And the world sucked the life right out of him. But you know the rest of the story. The rest of the rest of the story. Three days later, he brought an end to the spiritual famine of this world. The bread of life that had come down from heaven rose from the tomb to feed a world starving. Starving for his attention, whether it realizes it or not. He came to fill the hungry with good things. We come to him empty, desperate, alone. He comes to fill us with good things, to provide more abundantly than we could ever imagine. So maybe the next time someone comes to you empty, desperate, alone, and without hope, the poor, the needy, you may have more to give than you realize. It never will seem like it's enough, but give anyway. There's always more. I'd like to close with a story I saw on YouTube, which I hardly ever watched, by the way, but I watched it. There was this guy who decided he was going to give $100 to a homeless man. Have you heard about this? And then he's going to videotape it with a hidden camera to see what the guy did with the money after he gave it to him. So he gave the homeless guy the money and then left, but still followed him from a distance. Sure enough, the homeless guy went straight to the liquor store. Now, they couldn't follow him in because they didn't want him to see that they were following him. So the guy comes out, and he puts the stuff he bought into a bag, this big bag he was carrying, and he goes away. I mean, he fit the stereotype perfectly. But they decided to follow him anyway a bit further, and they saw him go up to some other homeless people, and he opened his bag and pulled out some sandwiches and bread. Then he went to visit some more homeless people and gave them food as well until he gave everything away. I mean, he didn't know any of these people, but he figured they were in worse shape than he was, and he wanted to help. The point of the story, the point of our text, is not just that God provides. He always does. But that he gives more abundantly than we can ever think of or ask. Trust him in this. And if God so loves us, we have the amazing opportunity to love one another and show his love when that opportunity arises. May it be so, for Jesus' sake. Amen.